Welcome to Primordial Tao, Present Tao, a podcast about all things Taoism. Our conversations and interviews will discuss ancient and modern Taoist wisdom teachings, spiritual practices, seasonal longevity and healing traditions, relationship guidance, and profound insights on walking an authentic and meaningful path, however you choose to walk it. Welcome home to the Ocean of Tao. Uh, for the people who can see the, the podcast, I'm wearing these glasses, and you'll notice they have kind of a yellow tint to them. It's because I have my lights for the, the recording. So right now I'm wearing these, you know, yellow glasses that block blue light, right? But if I was to paint uh, a big target on them, then, you know, like a bullseye, then everything I looked at would look like it was necessarily going to have something to do with a bullseye, right? If I wrote the word enemy across my glasses, no matter where I looked in the world, all I would see was enemies, right? So that's a sort of a strange way of bringing this up, but that's the, the concern in long-term, you know, in-depth spiritual practice is you're not conscious of what you're unconscious of. So the first real application of consciousness is kind of like opening a basement door and going down there, ee, 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 ee. Got those old creaky stairs and going, what's what's actually in here that I forgot about? Welcome to Primordial Tao, Present Tao, Episode 6. Today's topic, Taoism, Cognition, and Consciousness. My name is Alex Kruger, and I am here today with Dr. Michael Smith. Welcome to the show. So, hey Michael, how are you doing today? I'm well. Getting uh, into the winter, the stillness, the silence. Um, looking forward to having a great conversation today. How are you, Alex? Yeah, same. It's actually really, really nice over here today. We've been lucky with these Chinooks out here in Calgary. So it's December, but it's like extremely warm and sunny. Can't complain, man. <laughs> but yeah, same. I look forward to our discussion here. You know, we're going to talk about cognition, consciousness, Taoism. Uh, and I just wanted to touch base on some of our previous conversations. We were talking about some emotions and instincts before, right? So can we just re uh, reiterate a little bit for, for the people who missed that last chat? Uh, sure. Maybe a, a mildly more organic way to do that. Um, can I ask, how has your emotional intelligence changed since that conversation? Well... I'm trying to feel a lot more of what people are saying behind what they are just saying, you know, what you can just hear. It's like, yeah, just the, the feeling between you when you're speaking or yeah, body language, things like that. Are you leaning in? Are you enthusiastic or are you kind of crossed out, you know, but it's just, yeah, you're trying to understand really where they're coming from, like, you know, more. So that's been really helpful in the last week or so. And how's your emotional intelligence? Mm, regarding introspectively, I guess, yep. pretty yep. good, but it's been a really crazy week, so that's actually been an opportunity where there's so much on the go that you have to 
remind yourself to take care of yourself and take a minute to just look inside and say, whoa, 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 am I about to act in a way just because, uh, you know, maybe there's like uh, stress or something happening? Is that going to affect what I'm about to say now? And then you go, no, it's not going to. <laughs> We're not letting that happen, you know? So that's, that's also been really useful, of course, just self-regulating, I suppose, in a sense. So. Yeah, that, that's the magic word. So if, if I was to bring people through uh, what we talked about in the last episode who haven't heard it yet, first I would probably say, go and listen to that episode. Uh, if you're committed to doing this one right now, the first thing that comes to mind is to um, always bring this back to the core Taoist perception that everything in the universe is kind of of the universe. Now that's kind of an obvious thing to say, but when I think of emotion and instinct and the idea of emotion, you know, energy moving and, and all of that, the understanding in Taoism and Chinese medicine around emotion is that it's a tendency of movement of energy. It's a shape of your, your field, if you will. And um, I think the, the closest conversation I've had to this recently was with uh, some Qigong students talking about, you know, if you have a sense of a deadline in your practice um, and you're approaching your practice because you want to learn everything on time, now you're practicing your Qigong in a state of nervousness. So now you're learning nervous Qigong because your, your emotional state, your energetic state would be nervous. Now that would be the same if you're angry or sad or afraid. So when we look at the kind of qualitative, subtle appreciation that Taoism, Chinese medicine have about emotion, it's recognizing that it's a natural movement of energy, like a natural kind of season. But sometimes we stay in the same season or hold the same energy for too long or it gets too big or too intense. And the danger of that is that we become used to it. And then we don't really notice that we're feeling that, say, aggressive or that, that um, I don't know, nervous or whatever. And it just becomes the way we feel ourselves. And this is especially true if you've experienced a lot, of, a lot of trauma. A lot of people who've been traumatized, they learn to live in a very hypervigilant way. And for them, that's just Tuesday. That's just how life goes. So if we're going to become emotionally intelligent, the first thing we have to do is kind of like a spy, spy on how we feel, right? Notice our posture, our breath, you know, what's triggering the emotion, how it changes how we feel in our body. And then if we can get comfortable with that kind of honesty and patience, then we can start asking ourselves, why am I feeling like that? That's exactly what, that's why am I feeling like that? Yeah, that's... The most, yeah, that's the quickest way to get there, really, because, you know, <laughs> what's causing? Um, so, so as we go into that, why am I feeling that way? We have two choices. One is, who made me feel like this? You know, someone ran over your bicycle on the road and now you're mad. Well, it's because someone ran over your bicycle. Another way to look at that is, the reason I'm feeling this way is there's an underlying unmet instinct that I absolutely need to rely on right now to move through this situation. 
So we say anger. Anger has the instinct of assertion. So if I'm on my bike and I want to get somewhere and I have a deadline, and then for some magical reason someone runs over my bicycle, the reason I'm angry is that the fact they've wrecked my bike ruins my assertion to get somewhere on time. So every emotion has an instinct, right? So anger has the you know natural instinct of assertion. I want to see something happen. If something gets in my way, I'm going to get more frustrated, more aggressive, and then fully angry and many other possible things. If I'm feeling uh, a kind of fear, it's usually because I don't feel a sense of kind of embodied animal readiness, which is the instinct behind fear. Because if I'm ready, let's play. If I'm not ready, oh no. Uh, sadness and grieving, we often refer to that instinct as acceptance, but that's not really an easy one to, to use unless you've been doing a lot of deep work. So I use the term uh, adaptive pause. If I'm sad, it's because I don't really, I haven't found a place in myself to move forward with respect to what I've lost because I'm still in the grieving process. So I have to trust the instinct of that adaptive pause that time it takes to actually come to acceptance. You know, our heart, it's, uh, you know, we get to joy and we get excitement and then we get overly excitement. We can get manic, we can get psychotic. <laughs> and, and the real sort of, you know, instinctual playground of the heart is actually a kind of discernment, right? The ability to truly appreciate what, what is going on because it's beautiful. And at the same time to appreciate what's going on with a discernment to recognize that some things in life are tricky. You know, I think we all have that friend who's kind of cool and fun and funny, but they're also full of BS sometimes. So the true instinct of the heart is to appreciate both the good sides of that friend and the parts of that friend we can't really trust in the way that we might want to. But at least now we can trust that person in the way we can trust them. So there's that natural kind of uh, conscious appreciation as opposed to kind of uh, impatient or superficial appreciation. We look at the energy of your, uh, we call spleen and stomach, which often has a little bit to do with overthinking and kind of looping in the mind we're going to talk a lot about today. Its deeper instinct is your imagination. So if you're getting looping and worrying and, and, and sort of obsessing over decisions and thoughts, then shift your state into a playful kind of childlike imagination. And I, I always, always say this when I think of this, uh, Albert Einstein, the person we think of as being one of the most intelligent people ever, his whole thing is, I'm not actually that smart. I have a good memory and I use my imagination very, very practically and skillfully. Right? So anger, assertion, fear, embodied animal readiness, sadness and grieving, an adaptive pause that brings authentic acceptance. The heart can become manic or, you know, uh, hyperactive, but it's really coming into a, a loving, compassionate kind of patient discernment, right? Overthinking, worry, in the Chinese medicine kind of sense, uh, is all about actually using your imagination. I've seen this bumper sticker, you maybe you've seen it around, but it says, worry is a misuse of imagination. It's imagining uh, outcomes that aren't really ideal. <laughs> over and over and over again. 
So, you know, we, we have this understanding that, you know, emotions can be healthy, they can be instincts, and then they can be kind of pathological. And the reason that's so important for people, uh, you know, learning about Taoism or Qigong or meditation is, again, those emotions, they're moving your entire energy system. They're maybe tying up your meridians in a way. There's a term in Chinese medicine, qi uh, zhe, which basically the term zhe is when your belt meridian or while you're, where your animal kind of like, if I poked you with a, an electric cattle prod, the moment your body would make, in the sense it would suddenly contract and jerk or something like that. Uh, that's what that word zhe means. So at a certain point, our emotions are something we actually have to hold on to to just deal with. And that's when they become pathological because it's making our whole energy system constrained and tight or attempting to kind of constrain and we can't really hold it and then we collapse, which is another quality of that chur, because it's all about relative constraint and relative collapse. And you can definitely see that in the way some people just move in their bodies. Um, some people can look like they're carrying a lot of weight when they don't have a backpack on, you know. <clears throat> um, and yeah, just on people's faces and whatnot too, I mean, so it's just holding it on, holding on to it. Absolutely, it's it. It would, it does, you know, feel like something's kind of squeezing you or something when you. Yeah, and right now I'm, uh, for the people who can see the the podcast, I'm wearing these glasses, and you'll notice they have kind of a yellow tint to them. It's because I have my lights for the the recording. So right now I'm wearing these, you know, yellow glasses that block blue light. Right, but if I was to paint. Uh, a big target on them then you know like a bullseye then everything I looked at would look like it was necessarily going to have something to do with a bullseye right if I wrote the word enemy across my glasses no matter where I looked in the world all I would see was enemies right so that's a sort of a strange way of bringing this up but that's the the concern in long-term you know in-depth spiritual practice is you're not conscious of what you're unconscious of so the first real application of consciousness is kind of like opening a basement door and going down there, down those old creaky stairs and going, what's, what's actually in here that I forgot about or that's happening without me really being aware. And not letting it get to that point either. The first step would definitely just, you know, you got to start somewhere like, okay, what have I not addressed yet? And the, the process of opening up and, finding out what that all is that's packed away, unpacking it, organizing it, clearing things out, but then not letting it get to that point again afterwards as well. And, you know, if you can yeah, it's it, hard. It's hard to stop instincts from doing what they do. And that, that's where yeah. the emotional intelligence <laughs> comes up is like, oh, I'm feeling myself moving towards anger or moving towards um, fear. And, and then we, over time, move towards that slower. And then we don't move towards that. We stay with the instinct. And that, that can take probably, I would say, most people a couple of years of being very uh, aware of their center and very aware of where their emotions just sort of um, automatically take them. Because that, that's why it's such a problem, is that we're all conditioned and we all had childhoods and we all had high school and we all had whatever happened last week that still rattling around in there. And, it, you know, it, it takes a while to change the momentum. And again, e-motion, e-momentum. And the advantage is from the start, just looking at it differently. 
Uh, yeah, with a lot of humility and patience and space. It's yeah. I mean, if you go into an emotional intelligence practice with the urge to control it, um, wow, you're already in three different kinds of anxiety and rage. So, hmm. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, that. That's the 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 sort of squirmy part of Taoism is that it's slow down, feel, wait, listen, wait some more. That's great. And that helps, that helps a lot because yeah, like what we see right now isn't necessarily what it is. So we're all wearing glasses. Yeah. Right. And even if I were to look at you and see you're wearing yellow glasses, my experience is not you seeing through yellow glasses and I'm yellow. <laughs> you <know>? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, it's like, oh, he must be seeing yellow, but I don't know what that's like until I put your glasses on. <laughs> yeah, and, and I mean, you're describing the, the kind of empathy that, you know, I think we all aspire to as we grow up. Yeah, that's that's hugely important, especially, you know, if you have like a friend or a, someone, whoever that, you, you know, you care about and you can see that they are having a hard time. Something keeps getting in their way in life and it's just maybe their way of approaching a similar condition. And just, yeah, how you frame or decide to feel about that, I guess. I mean, it's not like you choose how you feel, but you can, how you let that into you, you know, is this such a bad thing? Or maybe this um, adversity is actually an opportunity to learn something. Oh, I just discovered, you know, um, oh, you know, I could be better at this or this or this so that this doesn't happen next time. Instead of looking at it like, oh, no, this thing. Um, it's the end of the world, <laughs> you know, like whatever it is. Yeah. And I think if I was to reflect on what you said, I would say that the only way to get better at that is to keep asking, um, who am I beneath what is automatic? Cause there's no way to get better at dysfunction. The only way you can kind of deal with dysfunction is to back away slowly and watch it from somewhere deeper underneath of that <laughs> and then and then and decide to what is there's a Pema Chodron wrote this great book called don't bite the hook you know about your internal dialogue because once you like you know a thought comes in you've had 10,000 times before and you're like oh yeah well I'm gonna finally win and the thoughts like uh-huh for sure <laughs> and that's that sounds like a almost like a habit too like kicking a habit adding a habit or getting rid of a habit yeah it's just that there's no boot yeah <laughs> yeah i mean i'm just running with metaphor here but when i think of kicking the habit and there's no boot i think of a barefoot in the sand sure and a strong kick well it's more like <laughs> i need to follow the footprints uh to understand what the boot is trying to do right because there's the instinct then there's the emotion there's the reaction and there's what i do to everybody else so if i really want to become emotionally intelligent in the sense of conscious I just have to keep kind of taking a, a layer from reaction to emotion to instinct to the observer of the instinct to the patience to make sure the instinct doesn't run away with me. Right. That's actually a good way to break it up so that you can kind of understand, I don't know, let's say somebody's trying to drink less coffee or whatever, you know, in a day. 
Um, and just recognizing, oh, there's a craving or something for this, like, where does that come from? Oh, well, I feel like this, and so on, and so on. And then, by the time you finish thinking about where that came from, you almost have forgotten about that craving or urge in the first place, and moved along already. Maybe you've got some tea now. Who knows? <laughs> well, ho hopefully, while you're thinking about it, and I'm just play being playful, Alex, you also decide to feel into it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, instead of shrinking away and pretending that feeling isn't there, just going, yeah, okay, what's this about, right? Breathe into it as well, right? That seems to work. It seems to be a common theme, breathing in Qigong. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and that's actually one of the more regularly practiced things that you've taught me, which has been working well, is if you are feeling discomfort in some part of your body or the alignment is out or something, and you inflate that area a little bit past where you want to land, and then you kind of relax back to that spot you want to be. So, helps. You can do that emotionally too, I guess. <laughs> so, so how can emotional intelligence affect Qigong then? Well, that's where I was kind of leading it, so thanks for... <laughs> Yeah, I'm like, this has got to connect here now. <laughs> so um, there's a part of uh, Qigong practice you usually probably learn in about the second year of, of like studying in, in the formal sense. And it's called Ting Jin. And it kind of means to listen. In the sense that Ting in, in Chinese means listen. But in Taoist practice, we often take standard words like, say, listen, and um, extend its meaning uh, in many ways. So Ting Jin, the power or the, the skill, uh, the effect of listening is one, like trying to listen a little deeper, a little farther, a little wider, a little lower, a little higher, a little everywhere, a little inward, but like I'm listening. And this is a great practice if you ever go out in nature and there's no city noise or other noise, is to start listening 360 degrees around you, you know, farther and farther away. Just because the mind as an animal, I mean, that's where most animals live all the time. Move, stand, shh, listen, and take another step. So there's another quality to Ting Jin, to this listening uh, which I would describe as feeling in. And it's a lot like, like if I, I usually ask people to close your eyes. So if you're watching or listening, close your eyes and imagine that you're reaching for a light switch and it's dark, which is why you're closing your eyes. And at some point the reaching is going to make you, uh, make a decision. Do I risk leaning forward and losing my structure to see if I finally got to the light switch? Uh, or do I want to take a step and then shift my weight or, um, it's a dark room. I can't just make myself see the light switch. I have to feel for it on the inside. So since you're hopefully all sitting or standing with your eyes closed, like imagine you're reaching for something, reach into the space of your mouth. Bring your teeth together and just allow your tongue to land where it's going to land. And then ting chin, listen with your body, feel in with your awareness into your tongue, which side of your tongue feels bigger? Now, 
the answer is obviously going to be subjective and maybe even made up in some way. But it's that skill of learning to listen and feel and almost like you're smelling. You know, what does my tongue taste like? As soon as your mind goes into perception to, to feel that taste, now your mind is less do, 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 and it's more be, 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 and it's more ting, ting, ting. <laughs> so if you're a person who's nervous, practicing your Qigong nervously, it's very difficult to slow down enough to feel what you're feeling. Never mind feel into why you're feeling what you're feeling and to go deeper to find the space underneath of that reaction, to find the patience underneath of that space, to embrace that reaction, to discern the instinct underlying it, maybe to discern the memory that's being triggered. And now you're actually practicing your Qigong about what you're feeling. Because if you don't do those things, then your Qigong doesn't really work. You know, and then in the sense of where it's meant to go. Now it's kind of like superficial yoga. There's really deep yoga and then there's weekend warrior kind of yoga. Right? Same with Qigong, same with martial arts, same with anything. So that's unlocking a genuine approach. Essentially. Well, we, we talked about uh, the embodied spiritual warriorship in the second or third episode, I think maybe the second episode. And this idea of willingness is, is to actually go deep into beingness. Willingness isn't always about what you do outside. It's honestly, for the most part, how committed you are to making room on the inside. You know, often in Taoist breathwork, we work on the three dantian and what is called nei chang, or the inner vessel, or kind of like a stretchy egg feeling inside the body. And when you're doing those kind of practices, the only way you can feel your visceral space, the fascia around your internal organs and your breathing and your diaphragm, where all of our emotions get stuck, got to keep those butterflies in your stomach in a cage, right? Or not. <laughs> So as we, we start doing deeper breathing and playing with those deeper qualities of Gong, you have to find the patience and, and the listening, the Ting Jin, to actually let go of the feelings that are held up in the constraint of your, your body, like right around your, your diaphragm and chest and belly, your perennial floor and your sacrum, you know. I mean, this is, I mean, I, I, I have a graphic example, if you think that'd be cool. I mean, yeah, let's go. Okay, what is it? <laughs> so, and you're, as a martial arts teacher, this is probably something you'll start seeing more and more the more you teach. People who've been spanked a lot are double weighted in their sacrum and hips. Because they're, I guess, just expecting to recoil away from that experience later in life as well? Well, the thing that destroyed their connection to their family or their parent or their parents was having them, I'm just imagining sort of the typical, you know, you lay your kid over your knee and your bad kid and you spank their bum or worse <clears throat> in the sense of belts or whatever crazy things people do. Um, that compromise to your authenticity, your autonomy is now held in how much you grip your hips onto your, your sacrum. 
So when you're teaching martial arts to people and they get super locked up on their hips and they can't turn left and right and they, and they can't use, you know, any kind of flow, they can't capture or like, uh, you know, adhere or lure energy in, it's because they're in a moment where their panic to, to like maintain their self in a martial arts drill mimics their loss of self as a child when they're being spanked because they want to win that war at losing themselves. And the only memory they have in their body is tighten your sacrum and your bum and your hips. A lot of people move that way. Well, a lot of people have been punished or tortured as children. You know, in the relative sense of, you know, how people raise kids. So again, that's a bit of a graphic example. And I apologize, you know, if that triggered anyone. But, you know, Taoism is about embodied awareness. And if your embodied awareness is a lot like the glasses that tell you that you know, <clears throat> this is what's going to happen or this is what's stuck in you. Uh, you have to go deeper than that to, to free yourself from it. Hmm. Well, stillness, I guess, just, just introspect in, 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 in practice, you know, like, like you're saying, take it two minutes now and then, but also just continuously come from that place, I guess. Yeah. Just keep peeling back the layers. I mean, some point it's not so much about you anymore, but maybe for the first 10 years, it's really about what's happened to you and what's made you see your practice, you know, in a specific way. And then eventually your practice starts to practice you. All right. And that process is ongoing. I don't think what happens when you find the middle, what happens when you peel all the layers away? What kind of, uh, well, I think if you're living in a monastery or a cave, then you can just continue on with the, the Nekong, you know, internal work. If you have to go to work every day and deal with the things that we all have to deal with, often our practice is about un unraveling what our instincts raveled up or tightened up around during the day. Venus. And getting through that to unravel what's behind even how you felt coming into today and then underneath that <laughs> keep going right well i mean you know i think you've you know i've brought this up three or four times now that at a certain point taoism is about subtracting <clears throat> yeah it's um yeah less and less minimize minimize but like it's it's cool because that, uh, the analogy we used pre, uh, in another episode where like a bird sort of just shaking the water off in a sense as a way of resolving at least, you know, some challenges or stressful situations. And, you know, yeah, feeling like internally a uh, cold glass of water or something, just, just calm and cool. And people pick up on that as well. So it can be shared. Yeah, I mean, since we're getting into bird metaphors, uh, there's the expression, <laughs> uh, a duck lets the water roll off of its back. So, I mean, when we get to a certain in internal coherence and internal sense of boundary, where I begin, where I end, and and, and all of that, uh, I mean, as a clinician, if I'm seeing a, a huge lineup of people today, especially in 2020 with COVID and everything else that's going on, um. I mean, I have to be pretty coherent on what kind of comes into me and what I take home and what I let roll off my proverbial back and 
uh, and all of that. And I mean, that, that's again, like it's, it's just a part of growing up. It's just with Qigong and meditation where we're taking it to a much different place than just how to get through your day. Well, hopefully we can help people have the tools to resolve these things more easily in their days. Breathing is definitely a big part of it. Just taking a minute or two multiple times a day or when you notice that maybe you don't feel like calm internally to breathe into your Dantian. So, meditation, it's key. <laughs> you got to do it. Um, and there, there are so many forms as well. I think people think that when you hear meditation and you haven't done it, it's such a formal practice or it's such a thing to go out of your way, but it's easy just to even right now, you could just sit more still and just, you know, close your eyes or not. But like you said, that feeling of reaching for a light switch. So, but just reaching for the right structure and reaching for the right feeling of, you know, how am I breathing equally on my left and right side, everything like that. Taking your attention on that and off whatever's bugging you already helps. So we have emotional intelligence and we have reaching in in an embodied state. How about meditation? Yeah, and this this is a uh... This is where I guess defining meditation becomes really clear because meditation, if anything, it's about becoming into the eye of the hurricane of embodied experience, of thought, of future, of past. And when we talk about emotional intelligence, that's about a lot of energy moving with a lot of um, present and past and future um, conditions that bring up our emotion. And it's not that meditation is a, about a lack of emotion. It's about going, I'm going to go into the center of mind and consciousness instead of try and fill it with emotion. Because then you're doing uh, a, a very specific aspect of meditation that is either um, kind of like a review of thinking and, and sort of a self-regulation thing, or actually a more shamanic practice called recapitulation, where you're actually working out emotional damage in the past. But that's more like Qigong Dao Yin. Meditation in its real formal sense is, um, at least for the conversation we're having, is about finding the pure balance point, the real center of the center of the eye of the hurricane of consciousness. So meditation is, in a way, not, not a beyond or above emotion. It just occurs mostly around narrative and cognition and state. So if a lot of emotion comes up, you can't really be in a meditation in that classic sense, right? You, you can be in, in reflection. You know, I'm going to sit and reflect on my feelings, right? Now, funny thing, when we talk about emotions and this idea of qi zhi, this idea that your body can actually like get caught up in a certain reflex to move through life, that same reflex shapes the way you feel the inside of your mind, how are you at math? Not too bad. Okay, so I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and feel into the space of what your brain feels like. Okay. Okay, what's 2 times 75? Uh, 150. Divided by 5. Uh, 50, oh, 10. 
<laughs> nope. Uh, <laughs> how did that trick me? <laughs> Notice okay. what happens to the oh. inside of the shape of the mind when it's like oh, I'm trying weird. to focus and then I have to focus on, <laughs> and then I have to go back and think about how to do math and then I have to focus. So <clears throat> what we call yin-yang, uh, the, the, the kind of intention and, and rumination part of the mind, it can also have a kind of shape. You know, in the sense of like emotion has shape, like emotion can give you glasses. So one thing that we encourage people to do in, in uh, aspects of Taoist meditation is to try and come into a place where the mind-body uh, connection, the breath connection, are all in the same open, um, aware, and centered place. Because meditation is about focusing without intent, but having enough intention to keep your attention on the moment. But if your intention becomes too wide, whatever pops into your attention is going to take up your attention and now you're looking over there or in the past or in the future or thinking about money or dating or whatever. So we have to have this weird game of uh, we call it shou yi. It's, it's to like conserve the very specific quality of attention and intention and recognizing that my mind already has a shape or a kind of sunglasses. So I have to soften it so the, the attention is more attent, but with enough intention to maintain my attention. And with the humility to recognize my mind already has its own momentum and habits. Right? So it's almost like if you're used to riding a horse, you have to keep getting off the horse and picking up the horse. It doesn't weigh so anything because it's that. just a mind horse, but it's, it's just realizing <laughs> in, in your meditation, after like two or three minutes of being in kind of the Zen place, you'll start coming back into the, and this is so fun to always talk about. You're like, oh, wow, man, I was really meditating there for a minute. And then you're like hitting yourself on the forehead going, oh, man, if I wouldn't have said that, I'd still be meditating. Oh, man, I just did it again. So we have to like really slow it down. And as soon as we realize the mind is moving into its own shape, its own momentum, you're back on the horse and it's going to start going where habit goes. You have to get underneath of it, which is more embodied and hold up the kind of attention you use, usually have and just allow it to be softer and be everywhere. That makes sense. Right? And it's not, yeah. Meditation's this not catch and release, but <laughs> <might and, laughs> never catch it. I guess in the first place, you're, you're always releasing. <laughs> hmm, it's interesting. That, that's you're a that, that's a great one, and I think if anything, meditation is the fishing line. Yeah, there we go. That's it. Yeah. Hmm. But yeah, same. Not trying to grab any particular thing. Just observing. So, hmm. Okay. And how far can anyone progress without emotional intelligence in meditation? Um, I guess that depends on how much emotional cheater they have. Because it isn't like black and white, you know, I have my, well, maybe I'm going to play with this in a funny way. I got my yellow belt at emotional intelligence, so I'm going to get my yellow belt in my meditation because I'm that aware of awareness. 
right? So um, I've met some really interesting people in the last 30 or 40 years of doing all this stuff and even patients who come in who are like, you know, I don't know, Buddhist monks and stuff like that. And you can tell the difference between people who are really open to all of their existence and people who are above the mundane, above the past, better than before. And there's a kind of weird, kind of like tight, ragey kind of part to those people. And when you start talking to them, they know I'm a, I'm, I studied this tradition and I've meditated this long. But you can also see that they're kind of holding something down. Right? And I mean, we all have to do that when we have to do that. But um, I don't know. For some reason, I'm thinking of those old answering machines you have with your phone where you have to push the button and then you know, have to just stand there and take notes as it kind of rolls through all the notes. Like if, if you don't hit the, the, the message button on your soul once in a while, <laughs> it's hard to say you're really progressing in meditation because you're more progressing in mediation and control. You know, so I, I think, you know, we can, can progress a certain, to a certain place with, uh, without emotional intelligence. But at a certain point, you're basically just holding your emotions, you know, like you're holding back, opening your voicemail. It's a really interesting way to put it as well, because you, <clears throat> there are plenty of people who, <laughs> someone comes out of a relationship, oh, I'm over and above so-and-so and that past experience and instead of looking at maybe what that was really about I guess it seems to be easier to just put it in a box and push it down over you so but that you're yeah there there does appear to be like you, know, you can feel that there's something unresolved there so so with being open to it you yep. can actually explore what that is yep and what we're getting into with the rest of the episode here with with all this it ties into Taoism and cognition as well right yeah that's where we're going to go is the the actual description of uh Taoist cognition and then looking at thought and cognition from a cognitive behavioral therapy kind of modern psychology point of view but before we get into that, I just want to bring up one sort of subtle thing, especially for people who practice uh, Ne Gong and Ne Dan, the more like traditional, deeper Taoist cultivation. You know, the stuff you commit 10, 20, 30 years to. Okay, that sounds good. Um, there's a thing that we call the wheel of cognition, and we're going to learn about that in a minute. And it's, it's literally like a wheel. It's just going around and around and around. If your mind is healthy and you're in a fairly adaptive and present state in, in your environment. And if that wheel is moving freely and um, the called the chi flow of the mind is always um, cycling in a way. Um, and, and I'm kind of making, I'm aware looking at the, the, the screen here as we record the video that I'm making the ancient symbol with my finger for a person who's gone cuckoo. <laughs> You know, when you put your hand by your head and you make a circle by your ear. So there's a good side to cuckoo in the sense that once that cognitive wheel and flow of thinking happens, your ability to go deep into your awareness of the somatic, of the subtle, of breath work into what do we call the water wheel, which is kind of the, the deeper 
uh, somatic and energetic engine for uh, Nagong practice. It's actually what is underlying what people call the microcosmic orbit. You know, the, the modern kind of Qigong where you, <clears throat> uh, the, the pictures on the, the, the fad kind of Qigong magazines and books, they, they show arrows going up your spine and down your front, like you're kind of trying to imitate Kundalini yoga. And that's actually a very small part of a very vast part of uh, Nekong. Um, but it actually starts with what's called the water wheel, which is cycling um, a feeling of connection to your core and your lower Dantian, but it also mimics or reflects what's going on in the mind. So if your mind can't go from present tangible uh, connection and sensation and process or progress, your water wheel in your lower Dantian isn't moving either because it's just sort of going from spot to spot instead of through a natural flow. Yeah, so I'm not sure if that really makes sense. But what I'm going to suggest people do is uh, to take a moment and uh, we'll come back into part two. And then we're going to get into in detail uh, the Taoist uh, cognitive wheel of consciousness and then the cognitive behavioral modern perspective and to see how, once again, way, way back in the day, these ancient uh, shamans and monks were doing exactly what modern psychiatry and psychology are trying to figure out and explain today. Wow. So as a Qigong practitioner and a teacher myself and that that that's a lot without without emotional intelligence we we can't move forward in our practice and you know like that's huge that's huge i I can't wait to learn more about this in the second part of the episode and and share with the other people out here uh what it means to go deeper into our practice and into ourselves in the spirit of patience let's take a short intermission When you are ready for part two, tap the link below.